All right, good evening, good evening, and uh, welcome for those of you who are joining us online. We've got a beautiful group in the room with us uh, to, uh, this evening, and so we need to start class number 21. We've been uh, absent, if you wonder what happened to us. Uh, I was at a minister's conference week before last, and then last week I was recovering from uh, COVID, and, uh, but I am much, much better, thankful uh, for the goodness of God, and so... Uh, but anyway, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll start class number 21. Father, you are so, so good to us and we recognize that. We acknowledge you in our lives and in this uh, room with us. And Lord, those who are joining us online, I know that the same Holy Spirit who's here with us and among us and in us, Father, is, is with every person that's, that's watching and joining in with us. Lord, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is our teacher and we acknowledge him as such. We, we submit ourselves to him and we thank you, Father, uh, for his help and assistance. Jesus, you said that he would lead us and guide us into all truth. And so, Father, we uh, expect uh, tonight more than we can produce on our own, Lord, because we know the Holy Spirit's with us and he's helping us. Father, some very, very important things for us to build upon. I thank you for uh, helping us, Lord, not just receive information tonight, but revelation from your Holy Spirit. Father, honor the effort that these men and women have put towards um, you, towards your word, towards your truth, towards your wisdom. But Lord, even one step beyond that, Lord, the effort that they've put towards being better equipped to help minister to and serve. Uh, thank you for your goodness once again. We pray for your blessing upon this class now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Come on in, sister. So before we started... Um, with the, with the uh, broadcast camera, we were having a discussion, obviously, in here. Uh, and one of the, the points that was made is that, you know, sometimes I uh, will, I think the exact quote was, hammer down on certain things multiple times in a row. And that is strategic. Um, I'll just give you one simple uh, uh, reason for that, okay? Uh, did you remember your ABCs the first time you heard them? And, and the answer is no. Uh, it's been said that repetition is the mother of learning, and it's very, very important that, um, that we hear things and hear things and hear things. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, not by having heard, but by hearing. So you take a man who makes multiple millions of dollars a year playing baseball, when he shows up for spring training in a few weeks, uh, guess what they're going to start doing? The basics, the fundamentals. They're going to start with... Uh, throwing a baseball, catching a baseball, hitting a baseball, because really that's the game of baseball, right? <laughs> throwing and catching and hitting a ball. And um, now you've got these guys that are, you know, they can do all kinds of different things, you know, pull a hit and bunt and throw curveballs and sliders and all these other things, but it still all comes back to uh, the basics, the fundamentals. And so in classes like what we're doing now, there are certain things that if we, if we don't understand it and if we don't get it established in our hearts, then it's going to be very difficult for us to move on to what's next. Um, and, I, and the folks in the room uh, are in a class that I taught this morning where we're talking about spiritual laws, but we spent practically the whole class talking about the wisdom of God because we've got to first understand that the wisdom of God is about the results that we need in our lives. And once we really begin to understand that and recognize that and embrace that, we've got a foundation then to start building another understanding on concerning spiritual laws. Because again, spiritual laws are based upon, rooted in, 
founded upon the wisdom of God. So one thing tends to call for uh, another, and that's one of the reasons why in these particular classes we spend you know hour and 45 minutes or so on a certain subject because we want to really just thoroughly saturate our hearts and minds with what the Bible has to say concerning these things. Now, when I was with you last, we were on the subject of three questions. And so I'm going to briefly uh, review those three questions. And uh, first of all, I want to put a passage up from John chapter 8 and verse 14. And uh, this is from the Passion Translation. And I really, really like the way this translation reads. It says, Jesus responded, just because I am the one making these claims doesn't mean they're invalid. For I absolutely know who I am, where I've come from, and where I'm going. But you Pharisees have no idea about what I'm saying. And so Jesus had some basic understanding about his life, about his purpose, about who he was, about why he was, where he came from, his origin. He understood those things, and he understood them perfectly. Uh, he understood them absolutely. Um, it, there was no question uh, as far as Jesus was concerned about who his father was, about who he was, about why he was here. And that produced within him such a, a tremendous faith and confidence in, in what he did. It, it produced boldness in, in what he did. He was able to, to love. Um, he was able to you know, love freely, give freely, um, because again, he had that, that, that background information uh, that you know, made it impossible, basically, for the devil to, to get him to question or doubt. Um, and, and so when we talk about our lives, you know, there are some really basic fundamental things that um, we need to know and understand or else our life and our purpose, our identity, our destiny in Father's kingdom will never really make sense to us. Now, what we're going to get into tonight and in the coming days is that when God created you and me, he created us for a very high purpose. Um, I'm not trying to be funny, but hopefully it'll register in your mind. You know, when Adam fell, he didn't just you know fall off a chair or roll off the back of a turnip truck. He fell from a very, very, very high place. Um, and, and we need to understand that place, that position that God created him to occupy because it's the same position that he created uh, you and me to occupy uh, and, and then the same position that if you've been born again that you've been placed into. Right, and so if we if we don't know the, the three questions, by the way, and I'll I'll just stick them up in in one slide without all the uh, the build up, and they're labeled the way they are on the screen uh, to make a point. Um, number one is not at the top of the list. Number one's at the bottom of the list, and that question is what am I? And we said that question corresponds with origin. And then the next uh, question, who am I? And that corresponds with our identity. And then the third question, why am I? And that question corresponds with our purpose. Now, they have to be answered in the order of one, two, and three. Said another way, you will never understand your identity until you understand your origin. You, you'll never be able to answer the question, who am I, until you first know what you are. You'll never know who you are until you know what you are. Because who you are, right, 
is is so grand. It's 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 so. Um, uh, my kids used the word ginormous when they were little. You know, it's so ginormous that until you really have an understanding of what you are, who you are will always seem out of reach. Or as we like to use the idea of, of laying brick and, and having a foundation to support it, um, a foundation of, of what you are and your origin will enable you then to have something to, to rest the understanding of who you are upon in your heart. Uh, remember, I used this example a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, that when Heritage Christian Center began in my cabinet shop, first Sunday of June, 1998, the Lord instructed us to, to call this family of faith Heritage Christian Center. And he, he ex explained to me that your heritage is what belongs to you because of who you are. And so I set out to teach people what belonged to them because of who they are. Okay, the only problem is it was sailing over their heads. That they weren't really, it wasn't really registering. It really, it really wasn't settling in their hearts the way it needed to settle in their hearts. And so I took it before the Lord, and He says, "You're trying to tell them what belongs to them because of who they are, and they don't know who they are." See, it, it, they would amen the sermons, take notes, but it wasn't impacting their lives because, as far as they were concerned, I was talking about somebody else, not them. Okay. So what did we do? We stepped back and we started teaching people who they are. Well, that led us to the Holy Spirit leading us, showing us in the Scriptures that there's actually a question that even precedes that one, and, th and that has to do with, again, our origin or the question, what am I? Now, in, um, when it comes to, like, Christian resources, music, books, curriculum, seminars, all, all of these things... Um, so much of that is focused on our purpose. Because what I've learned is that if I can ever help a man or a woman find their purpose and engage their purpose in God's kingdom, right, they're well on their way to their best life. Um, I'm trying to think if I've ever, and, and I, when I say relapse, I, you know, I don't consider someone who, who may take a drink or, or you know, to me, in my world, and it may not be in yours, there's a difference between a slip and a relapse. For, for me, a relapse is when someone goes back to the lifestyle. And, um, and only on, on rare, rare occasion have I ever seen someone who found their purpose and destiny relapse. Never have I seen somebody relapse. Once or twice I've seen someone slip up uh, very briefly and then respond from that and never go back to, you know, 15 years now um, clean and sober and a threat to, to uh, addiction. So it's very, very important that we... Figure out what our purpose is. You were created for a purpose. Father God assigned a purpose for you before he ever formed you in your mother's womb. Okay, And that's the sweet spot of life. When you're doing what you've been put on this earth to do, that's where the satisfaction and the meaningfulness and the context and all these things that, that we long for in life and, and, and can't quite seem to, to find in life, right? But when we find that, that's, that's what we've been looking for, and, and that's, that's the fulfillment that, that we've uh, tried to find in other things um, that we at last find in uh, our Father's kingdom and in doing what He created us to do, okay? But... For me to start explaining to you just straight off the top. Now, we'll, as we work our way through this, and I'll try to red flag it. Sorry. No, you're fine, sister. I thought it was, I thought it was something I was doing. <laughs> it sounded like an amber alert, which probably means my iPad or something like that it may go off here in just a minute as well. So, But anyway, of course, you live 
300 miles from here, so it may be for your, your, your area code, whatever that is, so praise God. But anyway, um, <clears throat> all right, let's, let's, uh, let's keep moving here. So we, I'm not going to turn to the verse, but in, in Matthew, the 16th chapter, Jesus explained to his uh, disciples um, his destiny. He explained to them that, well, let's just, there's no reason. We, I get in a hurry, but it's all right. Matthew 16, 20 and 21, all right? Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples what he must, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed the third day. Okay, so what's happened? For the first time, Jesus... Jesus' identity as the Son of God has been revealed to His disciples. And it wasn't until who He was, um, it wasn't until that was revealed that He then began to explain to them why He was. So from this we can come to a very simple phrase, okay? Identity unlocks destiny. Identity unlocks destiny. You'll never know why you are until you know who you are. But once you understand who you are, you're then in a position to understand what your purpose and destiny in Father's kingdom actually is. Amen. All right. Now, turn with me to the book of Psalms, and let's look at Psalm number 8, and we'll begin at verse number 1. Psalm number 8 and uh, verse number 1. Praise God. All right. And you may want to uh, mark some verses here, at least become familiar with this psalm if you are not already. It says this, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man, so there's our question, right? What is man? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. And then he says again, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Now, we could spend the rest of our time together this evening just on this psalm right here. There's a lot in this. Obviously, we've turned here to look at this statement or this question that the psalmist asks, God, what is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man? that thou visitest him, okay? So he's, he's, he's asking this question, it's like, what is it about me and what is it about mankind that, that has your heart, that, that you're so interested in us, that you're so uh, connected to us uh, and, and, and have such longing for us? So that, that's, that's the question, what, what is man, all right? But before we go there, let's, let's go back up when he says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. This is a clue here because he's, he's going to explain something in this verse and introduce something in this verse that has so much to do with why things are the way they are 
here on this planet. Okay, so, so hang in here with me on this, all right? But notice he says that out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants. Now, you've perfect, you've ordained strength, um, uh, and uh, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength the cause of your enemy, that you may silence the enemy and the, and the uh, avenger, all right? So, so what, what, what is he talking about here? Literally, when a, a, another baby is born on this planet and opens his or her mouth and, and cries out of the mouth of a babe or a nursing infant, okay? In other words, this baby or a nursing infant can't even, you know, speak words yet, but can make sounds, right? And, and that sound coming out of the mouth of that baby gives pause to the enemies of God, gives pause to the devil himself, because there is another child born on planet Earth created in the image and likeness of God himself. Okay? Now just kind of hold on to that. We'll, we'll circle back around to it. So he then says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Okay? So there is a song that talks about hoping we still feel small when we stand beside the ocean and that if we have the chance to sit it out or dance, that we'll dance and, 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 and all those other things, okay? And, and this whole idea is like, you know, when we, when we are, you know, realize how big creation is, that somehow it makes us feel small and tiny, that is not what this psalmist is talking about here. The vastness of the universe. He's realizing the vastness of God's creation. He's realizing you know, how big the ocean is and how, you know, in physical comparison, he's so small compared to all of that and yet is still so important to God that, that you know, what is man that you visit him, that you're mindful of him, that you think, you realize God thinks about you? I, I like to say it this way, and man, please don't lose sight of this. I remind myself of this often, okay, that God is emotionally connected to you. You, you have the ability to make him sad, and you have the ability to produce joy in his heart. Amen. He is emotionally connected to you. He thinks about you. You are on his mind, whether he's on yours or not. Amen. He is mindful of you. He thinks about you. And, and as the, the, you know, the psalmist, is, as, as he's realizing all of this, He's, it's, it's, it's inspiring him to ask the question, what is man, right, that you think about him and that you visit him and that you've made him a little lower than the angels and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. See, he's realizing that, that what is it about mankind that not only causes you to be mindful of him, but that you have put man in this position over everything that you've created. In, in another place it says, over all the works of your hands. Over all the works of God's hands. He's put you and me over everything that he's made with his hands. What is man, right? Now, there is, and I'm going to put this back on the screen. There is a passage here that uh, needs some help, okay? It says in the King James, this is the New King James Version, it says, For you have made him a little lower than the angels. Okay? A little lower than the angels. That is, 
a, that is an incorrect translation from the original text. Okay? Now I want you to stay real close here uh, behind me, all right? And I'll try not to make any sudden turns and lose you, all right? But, but, but when the Bible was written, it was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Greek and then translated from Hebrew and Greek into English. Now, both Hebrew and Greek are more complex languages than English. In other words, they are a more superior um, uh, vehicle for communication. There are verb tenses, for example, in the Greek that do not exist in the English. And so when the Bible was translated... Um, obviously people translated it, and when they translated it, they at times would have to make a judgment call on how to translate a certain word. Let me, let me give you an example. In English, take the word trunk. For that matter, any English word that you can think of can, can and, and, and more than likely does have more than one meaning. So when I use the English word trunk... Are we talking about an elephant's nose? Are we talking about the main part of a tree? Are we talking about the place you put the suitcases? You, you, you follow what I'm saying? So when they, and that's a, kind of an elementary way of explaining what I'm trying to, to say to you. So when you translate from one language into another, um, what that word actually means and the context of that word in order to get it right. Now, I've been told that I shouldn't say things like this because it'll cause people to question the integrity of the biblical text and all this other stuff. That Listen, we're, we're bigger than that, all right? God's bigger than that. And the Holy Spirit is the one who's helping us here. Now, I am very thankful for the, 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 the King James Version of the Bible. I'm very thankful for the New King James Version of the Bible. And, and I know, and I've had people get very, very irritated at me because they believe that's the only translation of the Bible. But if you, if you understand that, that uh, King James actually had the Bible translated uh, into uh, the King's English uh, to spite the priesthood, who uh, wouldn't acknowledge, uh, you know, a, a, a marriage that, that he wanted them to honor. So th this idea that it's like this angelic, you know, only translation of the Bible that, that we should ever read um, is, is nothing more than religious tradition. Now, what I would really recommend you to do, and it's something that I really enjoy doing, is to, you know, read the Bible in multiple translations. Now, I know for some of you, you don't have access to the technology uh, that you will have access to in the days ahead, but you can do that for free on a smartphone or an iPad or, or what have you. Um, and so a lot of times, especially if it's a text that you're not exactly sure what is meant by that particular text, well, look at it in four, five, six, I mean, 15 for that matter, translations uh, even there are some paraphrases of the Bible that um, I, I wouldn't, you know, stake everything I believe on them. But sometimes it's, you know, I've probably spent too much time on this already. But let me just, before I go any further, all right, let me just, let me say this, all right. What's important is the meaning. Are you following what I'm saying? The words are, are containers that that, you know, move meaning from God's heart to yours, and he uses his words to do that. And so whatever words are, 
you know, for, for example, Jesus didn't speak classical Greek. So what Eugene Peterson did with a message translation is he tried to, t Jesus spoke a, no more than I speak classical English. I don't speak the king's English, all right? I speak southern English, southern United States English, okay? All right? So, um, and Jesus spoke a, a street Greek, if you will, a common man's language. Well, we then took, you know, from a, a common version of Greek and translated it upward into a classical version of a different language. And, and sometimes you, in other words, Jesus didn't walk around with his nose in the air going verily, 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 verily. He <laughs> see, he did, that's, are you following what I'm saying? He did, that's, not, that's not who he was, okay? That's why I like the New King James Version that takes verily, verily and translates it to assuredly, most assuredly. But, but what's the meaning? More than, more than the word verily, verily, or more than the word most assuredly, what is, what is Jesus trying to communicate to us? He's saying, I'm fixing to tell you something that's going to potentially blow your socks off. You need to brace yourself because what I'm about to say to you is not going to seem like it could ever be true, but it's absolutely true. So you need to realize that, that this is going to perhaps stun you, uh, the, the magnitude of what I'm about to say to you. That, that's the meaning behind verily, verily, or most assuredly. Okay, but when it comes to this word Elohim, man, I had the people online are like, is he just going to leave the words on there? I, uh, anyway, you would think by now I would be more uh, adapt to switching, but I'm not. But anyway, hi y'all, I'm back on on camera. Okay, um, at least you could hear what I was saying. Amen. With this word Elohim, though. Uh, I'm sorry, with this word angels, it, it, the word in the original Hebrew is the word Elohim, okay? E-L-O-H-I-M, and that's capital E-L-O-H-I-M. Because the word Elohim, you have made him a little lower than Elohim, okay? Are you ready for this? Every other place in the Old Testament, Elohim is translated, it is translated God, because Elohim means God. Elohim does not mean angels. It means God. Okay? Are you with me? So notice now, I'm, 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 I'm going to try to point something out to you here. How opposed the devil is for you to find out what you are. Okay? Because what right is, is that you are a being created a little lower than God himself. And, and in the very text... Where this is pointed out in the most popular translations of the Bible, it's not translated accurately. So here it says, you, you have made man. What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you visited him, right? You've, you've crowned him with glory and honor, right? And you've made him a little lower than the angels. That is not what this says. That is not what the Bible says here. The Bible says you have made him a little lower than Elohim, Okay. So there it is, lower than Elohim, all right? Now, you say, well, Pastor Mark, why? This is controversial. Why? It's very significant. Stay with me, all right? But before I do that, and I see some of you have different translations that I says here, okay? All right, so let me give it to you in multiple translations, okay? First of all, in the God's Word translation, it says this, You have made him a little lower than yourself. What is man? That you're mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him. You have made him a little lower than yourself. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Okay? The New Living Translation, same verse, Psalm 8 and 5. 
You have made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. From the Holman Christian Standard Bible, you made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. From the Revised Standard Version, yet thou hast made him little less than God and dost crown him with glory and honor. Now, the next one is the Young's literal translation, the YLT. The YLT is, is one of the more accurate translations of any translation that you have uh, of the Bible. The, the challenge with Young's literal translation is that it's, it's difficult to read. It, it, it doesn't flow um, you know, like what we're used to reading English and the way reading English normally flows. Let me make sure you know this, okay? If you're reading, you know, translate, especially King James, New King James Version of the Bible, if you come to a word in italics, do you understand what italics are when it kind of leans to the side? Then the italics means that word or those words, plural, words, plural, were not in the original text, that they were added by the translators to make it more readable, okay? So, for example, one of my favorite uh, verses uh, on faith, for faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you look carefully, cometh, comes, cometh in the, in the King James, comes in the New King James, it's in italics. Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul originally did not say, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It was put in there, you know, to try to emphasize whatever, but it's literally faith by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. See, you say, well, Pastor Mark, what's the difference? I believe what Romans 12 says, that God's given to every person the measure of faith, and that every person has within himself or herself a measure of faith given to them by God, and that when a man or a woman hears the Word of God, the faith that is already inside of them is awakened and aroused and, 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 and begins to, to uh, like, blowing, uh, you know, oxygen on, on a, 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 an ember that's covered in ashes that looks like the fire's completely out, that all of a sudden the Word of God begins to, to, to react to, and, and, and the faith in the heart begins to react to uh, hearing the Word of God. This is why you can go to a place uh, on the other side of the world where people have never heard the name of Jesus a single time, and you begin to tell them uh, about Jesus from the Bible and faith will rise up in them to receive him and, be, and receive salvation, right? But notice now, when, if you go with the italicized word, faith cometh by hearing, it makes it sound like faith is somewhere way out there and, 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 and comes from another place to us when we hear, when I believe it's just the opposite, that faith is already inside of us when we hear. Yes, no, maybe. Okay, all right. So, so but Young's literal... You, you don't have any of that italic stuff in there, all right? But notice how it, how it reads. And causes him to lack a little of Godhead. He's taken the Hebrew and like literally translating it into English. What is man that you're mindful of him, son of man that you visit him? And causes him to lack a little of Godhead and with honor and massest him. So again, that's, that's hard to read, but if you're looking for accuracy... In, in biblical translation, Young's literal is a go-to, all right? Here we go to the New Revised Standard Version, yet you have made him a little lower than God and crowned him with glory and honor. 
All right. Now I'm going to give you Psalm 8, uh, 4, and 5, both from the message translation, and here it is. Then I look at my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second look our way? Yet we've so narrowly missed being gods, bright with Eden's dawn light. Wow. It is beautiful, isn't it? Now, see, we just... Let's, let's just go ahead and, and before we go any further, okay? Some of the things that we're talking about now become very divisive, okay? Um, in other words, pe- people don't want to hear this. They, they, they no, Pastor Mark, we just, you know, we're going to go with angels. Well, why, why am I splitting this hair, okay? Stay with me. So, the order before God created humankind looked like this. In the number one slot, there's God, okay? And the number two position was angels. And this is the order as we know it before the of mankind. It was God and it was angels, okay? And, and, you know, the Bible doesn't reveal anything or any, anybody else or any other order. Um, so this is how we know it was before God created Adam and the, the sons and daughters of Adam also known as mankind. So here is, according to God and the Bible, amen, here is the new order. Number one, God. And then man was made a little bit lower than him, narrowly being him. So this puts um, man then in the number two slot. I'm not leaving you out, ladies. There's two kinds of men. There's men who have wombs. And there's men who don't have wombs, okay? So there's men and there's womb men, all right? So mankind, male and female, created he them, all right? So there's God, but once God created man, man moved into the number two slot, and that to the number three slot, okay? Now, remember that demons are fallen angels, Okay? Demons are fallen angels. So what is man, what is man that you're mindful of him, son of man that you visit him, okay? You've made him a little lower than yourself. You've made him a little lower than Elohim. You've made him so much like yourself that he's almost you. Is 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 another version of these translations, okay? Which means that angels then come down underneath mankind. Now, you can just look straight ahead if what I'm about to tell you you've never heard before. Um, but, but I've learned over the years to not take for granted that people understand this. Right? Because a lot of what people understand about God in the Bible they get from Hollywood instead of the Bible. Okay? So when my grandmother passed from this life into the next, okay? She did not go to heaven to become an angel, all right? Angels are a completely different kind of being than a human being, okay? Now, 
Again, you know, it's like, well, you know, so-and-so passed and they've gone and now they're angels in heaven. No, that is not how this works at all, right? Angels are a completely separate type, species, whatever terminology you want to use of being. And the Bible says, are you ready for this? I'm going to show you a few things. We're not going to talk extensively about all this, but I'm going to share a few things just to get you some baseline understanding here. The Bible says, for example, that you will one day judge angels. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 3. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Judge angels. Now, I think sometimes we hear this word judge angels and we think like to, to judge them, to find fault in them. But you can also judge something to find something good to point out about it. And I think that one day when we quote-unquote judge angels is going to be the day when we realize that we weren't just outstanding drivers all, the, all our lives, but that we actually had angels that were helping us and protecting us. In other words, I think we will, we will finally have revealed to us all the things that angels did to help us that we were never aware of or never recognized perhaps in, in this life. But again, he's saying that, listen, you, you, you don't go to heaven to be an angel. You're in a position above angels and will one day judge them. Now, here's one of my favorite verses on angels. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, are they, they speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Okay. Are they not all ministering spirits, angels or ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Now, I want you to become familiar with this verse. Perhaps mark this verse in your Bible. But there's one word in this verse that I know I have to watch myself. I get it confused sometimes. I have it highlighted uh, digitally in my digital Bible with multiple layers of color so that it stands out above any other highlight on that whole page. Okay, And believe it or not, it's the word for. It's the word for. It doesn't say that they're sent forth to minister to. I'm not saying they don't minister to. But ministering for you is different from ministering to you. In other words, angels, angels have been sent forth by God to do things for you in your life. You understand, right? In other words, if, if, uh, if somebody does something to you, okay, <laughs> I mean, that's good, amen, but they're not just there to, to minister to you, but to minister for you. Are you seeing this? Okay? To help you. Now, in the days ahead, we'll look at how the, what the Bible says, that they hearken to the voice of God's Word and they hasten to perform it. So angels are waiting for you to speak the Word of God so that they can then go to work ministering for you to produce what the Word of God says in your life. Amen. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, and verse 12, the last part of that verse, the Bible says that these are things which angels desire to look into. 
And the context here is it's speaking of the love that, God's ha- the love that God has for you, the grace that God has shown to you, the suffering that Jesus has endured for you, and the glory that has been given to you. And angels are on the outside of this love relationship, this love connection that Father God has for you and for me. And they're on the outside of it, looking in on it. And the Bible says that they don't get it. They, they don't understand it. They long to look into it. They long to, to know more about why the God of the universe has so much love and affection in his heart for me and for you. He numbers the hairs on your head. He sings over you while you sleep at night. You ever had a friend that, that was in a relationship with someone from the opposite sex and, and you just didn't see what they saw in that person? You, you know, it's like, man, I don't, I don't see what she sees in him. I don't see what he sees in her, you know. And they're just all dreamy and love and all such stuff. And, you know, but, but, but you're on the outside looking in and you don't get it. You don't understand it. Well, that may be a worldly, secular way of trying to explain what we're talking about here. But angels, just they, they do not understand the love and the affection and the desire that Father God has for us. Let me, let me give you one example. I could give you more, but I'll give you one example of what I'm talking about here, okay? When Lucifer fell, Lucifer was an archangel in heaven. He's now known as the devil or Satan, okay? When Lucifer fell as an archangel uh, in heaven, and the Bible says he took one-third of the holy angels with him. So demons are fallen angels. When Lucifer fell, fell, he took one-third of the angels with him. We have no record whatsoever in Scripture that God ever even was interested in asked him if he wanted to come back, if he wanted to try to work things out, or somehow, you know, make amends. Okay? Compare that to when Adam fell. Compare that to when we all, as, as, as human beings, turned our back on God, as the Bible says, and went and did our own thing. The Bible says that he came and he hunted you down. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't just come to see if you wanted to work it out. He came and took the blame and the punishment for the sin that separated you from himself just to give you and me the option of being reunited with him should we choose to take him up on his offer. Do you, do you see the difference here? Right? Now, again, I, you know, be other factors involved that we don't have access to in the scripture, but I'm just trying to show you that, that angels are not the same in the heart of God to God as a human being, okay? Now, your creation, when I say your creation, I I mean the fact that there is a human being. So it would be easier for me just to talk about Adam and God creating Adam. But when God created Adam, he created all of us. We were all in Adam in seed form. So we're not just talking about Adam here. And, and, and I, I don't want to isolate it to Adam, and I don't want to so generalize it by talking about human beings that somehow you get lost somewhere in the shuffle. Because we're talking about you and we're talking about me tonight. Your creation and the place you were created by God to occupy. Now, I'm going I'm to share some things with you from the Word of God that um, are, are maybe versions of this that you've never heard before, Okay. And, and my responsibility is to give to you what the Holy Spirit has given to me 
to, to share with you what the Holy Spirit has revealed to me. Your responsibility is to take that before the Lord and the Word of God and, and, and see if it bears witness with the Word and see if it bears witness with your spirit. Okay? But there are some things that deal with, that pertain to the undoing of the devil that I don't think the body of Christ understands. And we've been told it was about one thing when I believe it was really about something entirely different than what religious tradition tells us the fall of Satan or the fall of Lucifer was all about. And so again, your creation and the place that you were created by God to occupy, I believe led to Lucifer's fall. Turn with, jealous brother, you own it. Turn with me to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 and verse number 12. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 14 and verse number 12. Praise God. All right, I'm going to swap over and put this up on the screen. Isaiah 14 and verse 12. This is what we find, okay? <clears throat> How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, so let's pay very close attention to what Lucifer said in his heart. This was his undoing. Lucifer said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. Ascend means to, to go up, okay? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now we'll come back to this. But see, we've been told that he said in his heart, I will exalt my throne above God. That's not what he said. He said, I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. Not above God, but above the stars of God. Let me keep reading. I will also, also means in addition to, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Okay, that is a specific place in heaven reserved for a specific group of people. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. But notice what it says. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? Let's start with that, that last part first, okay? There is coming a day, my brother, my sister, when the real devil will be seen for what he truly is. And the Bible says that the men of the earth will wag their heads in amazement. And, and I'm going to give you the New Winslet International Translation now. Are you ready? You mean that's all there is to that punk? In other words, when we finally see him, he's not going to be the boogeyman. He's not going to be, again, what Hollywood has made him out to be. I picture him shriveled up in the bottom of a 55-gallon metal drum. I do not know why. I'm not saying the Bible says that. But that's, in essence, what we're talking about here. A shriveled up, measly uh, 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 punk, okay? A thug. 
in the bottom of a can. Amen. And the men of this earth are going to see him. They're going to gaze at him and they're going to consider him saying, is, is this he made the earth tremble? He's the one who shook kingdoms. He's the one who made the world as a wilderness, destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners. See, what, what we're going to find out in the days ahead is that the devil doesn't have any valid authority. He's able to do what he does by hijacking authority that God has given to you and me. He uses who and what you are, who and what I am. He tries to use those things against us. And when he's stripped of all of that, anybody remember um, what Saddam Hussein looked like when we drug him out of that hole in the ground? This, this one who uh, would tie people's hands behind their back and throw them off a building in front of their families, this tyrant, this, this thug, right? But notice, when he no longer, he derived all of his authority and power from the people that he ruled over as, with an iron fist as a tyrant. Once all of that was taken away from him, he was a shrively old man. Really, if, if you want to look at an even more accurate picture of it, look at what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he crawled around like an like a ox uh, and ate grass and his fingernails grew out and his beard and hair. I mean, that, because you know, he always said he was going to be the second reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Anyway, praise God. Don't let me start on all that stuff. But, <laughs> but you, I mean, you see how, how this turned out. So this, this, is, this is the true picture. See, the, the devil never wants you to hear this. He, he makes his living by convincing people that he is mighty and we are measly. He wants you to believe that he has all the power, he has all the cards, and that you are nothing and nobody and can't do anything. Yet the Bible says that if you submit yourself to God and resist the devil, that the devil will run from you. He will flee from you in terror. So do you see now why every time a baby opens the womb and that baby opens its mouth and, 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 and cries out and makes a sound, it strikes a chord of terror. It literally causes the, the, the devil to shut his mouth for a moment and, and, and pause because there's now another human being who has been loosed on this planet. And if that human being ever comes back into fellowship with his creator father and finds out who he or she is in Jesus, that the, the devil's reign of terror in that individual's life and family is over. Amen. It terrorizes the enemy. Now, let's, let's go back up here. Praise the name of the living God, all right? So he, he says, how you're fallen from heaven, a Lucifer, son of the morning, how you're cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. You've said in your heart. So let's talk about what he said in his heart. He said, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Not above God, but above the stars of God. Now, in Scripture, stars are symbolic of offspring. Stars represent not God, but what did he say in his heart? He said, I will exalt my throne above the offspring of God. Okay? You say, oh, Pastor Mark, that's a little bit flimsy. I, I don't know. Stay with me. All right? I will also sit on the mount of the car this sides of the north. Anybody know what this place is called in heaven? It's called Mount Zion. 
and Mount Zion is a place that has been reserved. Notice the congregation. It is, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. In other words, Father God has reserved this place in heaven for me and you. I believe it's one of the most beautiful places in heaven. And Lucifer says, hold on a second. If if they're going to sit there, I'm going to sit there. Let's go back to, I left this part out. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend into heaven. According to Ephesians 2, as born-again believers, where are we seated together right now? We are seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. So he's saying, I will also sit. I will ascend into heaven. I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. How about this one? I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Who was created in the image and likeness of God? We were created in the image and likeness of God. Now, brother said it a moment ago. This is how I am absolutely convinced by the Holy Spirit this went down. As long as Lucifer, and by the way, he was one of the most beautiful beings that God ever created. He literally had musical instruments built into his body. We say now that if, if someone can really sing, that they have a set of pipes. You ever heard that expression? Lucifer had pipes built into his body. And he was covered with some of the most beautiful uh, gemstones uh, that, that our minds, you know, we, we, we can't even comprehend. And the Bible says in Ezekiel that he walked back and forth in front of the throne of God on top of the coals uh, of fire on the altar of God. You ever, you ever seen somebody in a developing nation full of the devil walk barefooted on hot coals? See, again, this is what Lucifer did. Lucifer walked on the coals on the fire of the altar of God back and forth in front of the throne of God in, in, a, in a body that was covered in jewels. What do you think was emanating from the throne of God? The light of God and the glory of God. And, and, and I, I don't mean to trivialize this, but think mirror ball, except for it was diamonds and rubies and, 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 and gemstones of size and quality that I'm not sure people on this planet have ever seen. And as the glory of God hit Lucifer, he reflect, refracted and reflected the brilliance and, and the glory of God. And he led the music around the throne of God. And I believe, you can disagree with me and that's fine, I believe he would still be doing that to this day had God not come up with this great plan to create you and me. Somehow word got out in heaven, amen, <laughs> that God was about to create a new being in his own image and likeness. And that this new being would be one with God and would be just a little bit lower than God. And that, that angels who had served God for eons and eons of time would now serve God and mankind. 
And I believe Lucifer said something like this. Hold on a second, God. I've served you faithfully all these years. I will not be demoted and serve a man. I'll exalt my throne above your offspring. I'll not serve them. They'll serve me. And if they're going to be like you, I'm going to be like you. And if they're going to get to sit over there on that mountain, I'm going to sit over there also. If they're going to get to be with you on your throne, then I'm going to get to be with you on your throne. This was the rebellion. Are you following me? This was what led to Satan's, Lucifer's undoing. Why is this significant? It's significant because when he landed, Jesus said, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. Okay, Why is this significant? It's significant because when Lucifer landed here on this planet, stripped of everything that made him an archangel. Let's get something straight right now, okay? Lucifer never was God. Lucifer never was all-knowing. He never was all-powerful. He never was omnipresent. When he was at his best, he was not God. And my friend, he is far from his best now. Friend of mine, Lee Jones, he says he's nothing more than an archangel wannabe now. Okay? He is an archangel wannabe now. He never was God, and he's certainly not God now. See, but again, if, if you go with Hollywood's version of the devil, he's as powerful as God, maybe more powerful. And that, my friend, is simply not the case. On his best day, he was not anywhere near as powerful as God. But he was stripped of all that. And he, and he landed on this earth. He fell like lightning, Jesus said. And he landed on this earth, stripped of everything that made him an archangel. More determined, listen to me very carefully, more determined than ever to exalt his throne over me and you. More determined than ever to make you his slave. More determined than ever to get you and me to bow our knee to him. I'm being quiet on purpose. I sure, of course, I know what you're saying, but but we don't. Do we live by feelings? You see what I'm saying? We can't we we can't live our lives by feelings. Okay. Was there ever a time in your life when maybe you were a little bit intimidated by, say, a bicycle or a roller coaster? Or, yeah. What about now, though? Notice the point I'm trying to make is that you've had experiences now that have taught you better. You follow what I'm saying? See, I've had people tell me, you know, when I teach, Pastor Mark, lower your voice. The devil might hear you. I, I want him to hear me. See, here's the thing. The devil knows. The devil knows that you have authority over him. Trying to figure out if you know that you have authority over him. You follow what I'm saying here? The devil knows that he, listen, I, I, I wanna, I, I'm going to 
I'll take this one step further, if I may, okay? You remember, so Adam see, and Eve sin, they fall. They have children who were born in sin, okay? And Cain is making a plan to kill his brother, and God says to him, sin is at the door for you, but you should rule over him. See, here, here's the thing, if I could just make this point one more way, okay? God one, man two, angels, even fallen angels, beneath man. According to God, a fallen man should still rule over a fallen angel. Amen. Amen. Brother asked question left, so I don't know if he didn't like my answer. No, I'm just kidding. Praise God. <laughs> I'm say it really loud so you can hear me down the hall. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that, but anyway, my buddy. All right. Do, 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 do. Wait for him to get back and answer. No. All right. So, but see, this is, the devil, the devil is a deceiver. He, he makes his living by deceiving. To deceive means to believe something is true that's not true. So if we believe that the devil is all that in a bag of chips, then notice we, we will treat him like he's all that in a bag of chips, even though he's not. This, this is, again, this is, how, this is how he operates. He's a liar. He has to get it from, from us. To trick you into surrendering your power and authority to Him. I'm, obviously, y'all hear that, but people online can't hear that. That's what Sister Pam's saying from the back of the room. And that, that, that's absolutely the case. Now, a lot of people say, oh, no, 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 Pastor Mark, it, it can't be that easy. It absolutely, positively is that easy. Jesus said, if you see me casting out demons with the finger of God. You see, God has more power in one finger than, than of devils combined. I'm, I'm just trying to show you this, right? Because we, we've got to understand these things. The, 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 remember, we talked about one of the devil's number one strategies against us is what I, big word like mayonnaise, the trivialization of mankind. When you trivialize something, you, you make it out to be less than it is. You, you make light of it. You make little of it. The devil has tried your entire life to make you think you're a nobody, to make you think that you're helpless, that you're powerless, that you can't do anything about anything, and that you're just at the mercy of whatever comes along in life. But that is not who you are in Christ. That is not who God created you to be. That is not what the Bible says about you. But notice now, now see we're getting into identity and we're getting into purpose. But your identity and purpose will never make sense to you until you understand that you are a God class being. That you have been created by God in the image of God to operate and function like God. That's what image and likeness means. To look like God looks and to function the way God functions. Until you understand that you were created by God to be a little less than, a little lower than Him, right? For the holy angels 
to be ministering spirits, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for the heirs of salvation? We are the heirs of salvation, right? Now, if, if the ones that have been sent forth holy angels to minister for us, how much more authority do we have over the ones that have fallen and been stripped of their place and position and, and abilities by God? Yes, sister. Oh, was Jesus worshiping? Okay. Amen. Okay, give it to me. Um, when you say like a little lower than him, the way that I received it was like we're an extension of God. So we don't have as, is that like the children? So, well, born again, there's different ways to, to illustrate that. And she said, does it mean kind of like an extension of God for those of you watching online? And I would say yes, especially in the sense that now as born again believers, the Bible says that Jesus is the head of the body. And so when we talk about a body, we're all members of the body of Christ with Jesus being the head, the church, which is his body. And the Bible says that he, that he now um, feels all things through his body. So in the sense that my hand is an extension of, of me, of my body, then as members of the body of Christ, we absolutely positively are an extension of God himself here in, in this created realm. So it's, it's an accurate way of saying that. Okay. Now what, and maybe we'll get into it here a, 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 little, a little deeper. Praise God. We've still got some time. Um, but just in light of, of that question, you see, in order for us to serve or fulfill that purpose, God had to create us on a level that would make that possible. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? In, in other words, if, if, uh, if my hand's a stick, you know, I mean, well, it's, it's, it's not going to work, right? You see what I'm saying? It, it had to be of the, of the same substance, you know, to, to function and be a part of, be integrated into um, my, uh, my body. Amen. All right. So we could go. Let's go to James now. James chapter one. James chapter one. Amen. We're going to see what is man. That phrase or what kind of man. We find this in James 1, 23 and 24. So one way you can remember this is James chapter 1, 2 and 3, 1, 23. All right. So he says this. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man, King James says, what manner of man he was. Okay? So, in order to know what kind of man you are, what kind of being you are, you have to look into the Word of God to find those answers. You can't just go with tradition. You can't just go with the wisdom of this world. You can't just go with, with what um, religiousized denominational doctrines say about these things. What does the Word of God say? Remember, we talked about this you know, early on in these classes. I know some of you weren't a part of the class in those days. But one of the most important questions we could ever ask about any subject that has anything to do with us or anybody that we love or life in general, what does the Word say? What does the Word say? 
And so if you're ever going to know what kind of man, what kind of being you are, you're going to have to look into the Word of God. It's the only mirror you can look into for a true reflection of not only your purpose, not only your identity, but also your origin, what it is that you are. Now, let me take kind of a step back, fill in some blanks, and then we'll move forward again. When we talk about this question, what is man? Answering this question correctly is important because it provides the foundation for the next two questions, as we've already said, who am I, and then ultimately, why am I? A failure to understand and embrace the truth concerning what you are will make it impossible to ever fully know who you are and why you are. So this is why the devil works so hard. Listen to me very carefully. This is why the devil works so hard to connect nothing more than a, than, a, than a higher form of animal. He works so hard to, to start when we are very young to try to convince us that we're nothing more than an ape with an education. That, that, we've involved, that we evolved from apes and monkeys and that we are uh, of that class of being, if you will. All right? Now, go with me to, uh, praise God, go with me to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. We're going to need to lay a little foundation here. Then we're going to get into some specifics about what we are. Okay? Romans chapter 12 in verse number three, okay, it's hard for me to be that close and not point out to you verses one and two. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, your reasonable service, that you may do not, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. That's one and two. Now, verse three. Verse three says this. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, so he's talking to all of us now, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, people sometimes read this verse, especially verse number three, where it says not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And somehow they come away from that verse believing that we should not think highly of ourselves or that we should actually have a low self-esteem or a poor self-image. Do you realize that this verse is telling you to think highly of yourself? Think highly of yourself just to not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. He's not telling you to think lowly of yourself. He's not telling you to put yourself down. He's not telling you to, to think little of yourself. That's what the devil's been trying to do your whole life. He's been trying to trivialize you. He's been trying to make you believe that you're unimportant, you're insignificant, that you don't have anything to offer. But he's a liar. 
And so now you take a verse that says to every one of us, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And people point to this as biblical evidence that we should have a uh, think lowly of ourselves that we should have a poor self-image. Out of context. Because the context is that there are many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to this passage, are you ready? What is it for a man or a woman in the body of Christ, what is it for them to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think? It's for that man or woman to think that they can perform their destiny, they can fulfill their destiny on planet Earth, other members of the body of Christ. This is, what he's guard, this is what he's warning against. For you to get so full of yourself that you think you don't need anybody else when it comes to what God's put you on this earth to do. My friend, he has put you on this earth for some very, very important assignments. Because you are very, very important to him. But the warning here is, don't think so highly of yourself that you think you can do it without working together with other members of the body of Christ. The thumb on my right hand is really important. But if it gets so full of itself that it thinks it doesn't need the rest of my body and, and, and wanders off by itself, <laughs> well, it's become useless both to itself as well as to the rest of the body. Are you seeing this? That doesn't mean that we should, you know, tell our thumb how lousy it is, how sorry it is. No, that's not. You, you lousy, good-for-nothing thumb. No, no, no. That, see, that's not what he's saying here. So he's literally saying that we should think highly of ourselves. Did Jesus think highly of himself? He absolutely did. He knew where he came from. He knew who he was. He knew why he was here. He knew where he was going. That doesn't mean, to think highly of yourself doesn't mean pride, it doesn't mean arrogance. When you really begin to understand the, 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 what you are and who you are and why you are, my friend, it is humbling. Amen. It is humbling to realize that God thinks so highly of you and, that, and that, that you are so important to Him and that He has a specific plan and purpose for your life. All right, let's try to dig into this now. So what is man? Let me put the slide up here. You'll kind of see we'll fall into a rhythm here. Um, what is man? And I'm going to just give you some key things here, all right? And the first one, we might as well go ahead and get one of the hardest ones out of the way first, okay? First thing that we need to do answering this question, what is man? We're going to answer from the Word of God, the perfect law of liberty. We're going to look into the book and see what the book has to say, all right? Not what does denominational religion say, none of, not what does religious tradition say, what does the Bible say, all right? And the first thing that we see, and one of the most important things that you can ever understand about what you are, is that man is a God-class being. Man is a God-class being, okay? Now, <laughs> amen, let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. Genesis 1. And 26. I'll give you a moment to turn there. I'll get me a sip of water. Praise God. Amen. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. Then God said. So who's speaking here? God's speaking here. Okay. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
We'll talk more about this in the days ahead. But us and our are plural pronouns indicating God is three yet one. He is God the Father, He is God the Son, He is God the Holy Spirit. He did not say, let me make man in my image, but let us make man in our image. That's why you are a spirit that possesses or or has a soul that lives in a body. You are three yet one because a three yet one God created you in His image and and in His likeness. Let us create... Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So image, um, let me put those verses on the screen right quick. I apologize for that. So image and likeness. We see those there in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. They're not just being repetitive. They are related. They are connected. But image and likeness means, to the simplest way I can, I can uh, translate it for you, it means that God created you and me to look like He looks and to function the way He functions. To look like He looks and to function the way He functions. So God has two eyes, one nose, one mouth. He has two ears. God has hair. He has a chin. He has a neck. He's got shoulders. He has arms. He has elbows. Are you following me? Moses Moses saw his backside. He has buttocks. Okay? He has feet. He has hands. He has a right hand, a left hand. He's got a thumb and four fingers on both of his hands. Are you following me? See, that that was the shape of God, okay, (laughs) before there ever was an Adam. Now, you read in the Bible, there's some amazing things creatures that God's created in heaven. And I don't know when's the last time you've paid attention to some insects, but God is a creative God. Okay? I mean, He could have made us, you know, with uh, six arms. You know, I mean, spiders have eight legs. I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? He, he could have made us um, in any shape or form or image or likeness. You, you follow what I'm saying? That He chose. But He, he chose, He chose to create and me in his image and in his likeness. In other words, for, for us to have a right hand and a left hand with thumbs and fingers and fingernails and knuckles and elbows, hair, eyes, eyebrows, nose, teeth, lips, chin. Are you following me? He created you after himself. He used himself as, as a prototype, if you will, Remember how, and when he created Adam, he created Adam and Eve, male and female created he, them, and then later he took everything that was female out of Adam. So when he created them, one being, he formed him from the dust of the earth with his own hands and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So God hand-formed Adam and, of course, ultimately you and me, in, in His image and likeness. Whew. Man, that's... You know, I mean... You know, it's like... Really offended if, if you go buy a pair of shoes like theirs. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like... Um, 
dude, you knew I had that red sweater, and you went and bought it, and now we're going to wear it on the same day. It looked like Bobsy Twins. You know? and there was, and there was, you know, it wasn't like God's like, look, there's no way. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want them parading around looking like me because, you know, they may do some things that I don't approve of. <laughs> so this is why Jesus says, I'm not ashamed to call them my brothers. Amen. So what's the point? The point is that man is a God-class being. And when God created you, he created you to look the way he looks, but then to function the way he functions. Now, we're going to get to the functioning part a little bit later down the road. While you're there in Genesis, let's turn over to Genesis chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 18 through 20. Okay? Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 20. i got 624, so we've still got about 20 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. Can you power on through with me for a few more minutes? All right. We're just laying some groundwork here. I'm showing you some stuff in the Scriptures. All right, Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 and 20. And the Lord God said, It is not good... Let me swap that back over to the screen here. There we go. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. That word comparable is very important. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. Okay? Was not found a helper comparable to him. There was nothing, did God make all the other animals? Yes, he did. But were any of those animals on the same par, on the same level, class of being as Adam? And the answer to that question is no, they were not. There was none comparable to him. Okay? Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so I'll repeat this probably when I get to it down the road. But when we talk about compatibility, okay? If there's going to be compatibility, there has to be comparability. Things that are not comparable cannot be fully compatible. Right? Yes? It's, it's like balance. I'll explain it more when I get there. Um, I, I, I've got a puppy, right, that I, that I really like. Okay, and and he has a very special place in my heart. You know, I could I could talk about Colonel, Colonel, right? He's been called General before. It's not the first time. Okay, um, he hasn't been promoted to General yet. But anyway, he's Colonel, um, and uh, um, and and we have very important words. Okay, I have a relationship with Colonel, but I don't have fellowship with Colonel. Okay. Colonel has a little carrier. He'll go eat with us. He'll go to a restaurant, but he don't sit at the table and order cheese dip. He stays in his carrier under the table. My grandson, on the other hand, he sits in his high chair beside Granddiddy, and he eats out of the same bean dip bowl or cheese dip bowl as me. Do you see? Right. So in order for, their, for, their to, for two to be compatible, they have to be comparable. So Father God was looking for a companion with which Adam could share intimate fellowship with, 
So therefore, there was no other thing that God had created up until that point that had the same comparability that was comparable. So therefore, compatibility would have been impossible. So this is why he emphasizes in these verses that Adam looks, you know, he surveys everything that God created, nothing on the same level, nothing comparable to him. So this is why God had to create Eve from Adam so that there could be the intimate fellowship, compatibility, right, that God, uh, listen, praise God, I'm getting way ahead of myself now. No, don't apologize, it's fine, I, I started it. Um, but <clears throat> the clues here are that God created you and me to have intimate fellowship with himself. See, in other words, that now we just swerve back over into identity and purpose, okay? The, the highest purpose for which you were created is fellowship with God, okay? Like a friend? Like, like a husband and wife, like one with, one with God. See, me and God aren't, you know... People used to, I used to I used to mistakenly say, "Man, me and God are just like this." He corrected me one day. He said, "No, you're not." So me and God are just like this. See, so we've made one. So we've made one, right? But now, <clears throat> Colonel, my my Yorkshire Terrier. We we have fun together. We you know we play. You know we all that, but. It's, it's not like the kind of fellowship that I have with my son, my wife. And it's because he's not comparable to me. Are you seeing this? Okay. All right. So... No. You didn't evolve from the monkey or gorilla or that's not what the Bible says. No. And these scriptures right here explain that. He says, let anything, you know, let anything that God had made that was like Adam, they had to make Eve. And we didn't evolve. No. And uh, for those of you who are, um, <laughs> I'm back on the camera. <laughs> I look up, there's not, I'm not going to try to turn it around here, but I've got two screens and I'm swapping back and forth between what you're seeing on these screens and that camera. And every now and then I get logged over there onto the, the digital overlay. And then, anyway, that's fine. Um, for those of you who are watching online, uh, Sister Pam in the back was saying that it's very important for us to realize that these animals are listed here, obviously to, to communicate that Adam and the descendants of Adam are given authority over those animals but also that we did not evolve from them. There's, there's none in the, in the same league or category comparable um, to Adam. Now, I'm kind of at a critical point right here. Because once we start down this road, it's going to be hard to stop. So let me, let me, let me do it. I'm going to try to do it, okay? There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that um, 
I could teach from just about any pulpit in this city or state that, I mean, I guess 100% agreement might be a stretch, but, but that, you know, the overwhelming majority of every person present would agree with. Okay. But then, as we start dialing in some specifics, like what is man, okay, the easiest thing for me to say would be, you know, uh, we're created in, in God's likeness and just move on. But that's not, it means more than that. He's literally saying that, that we are God-class beings. Now, that's, that's controversial. Maybe not uh, anybody in this room right now, but I'm telling you, there are places well, I mean, I, you know, it's not edifying, but I've, you know, it's been years, but I've, there's people who've gotten up and left this church for me saying that and never came back. Okay. So it's, it's, it's controversial. And notice that when you start getting to some really critically important foundational truth, this is where the devil really starts pushing back. Because, again, you, you start understanding this and, and what this means it's a game changer. It's a life changer. It's a world changer. Okay? Because the, the lies the devil used to use on us that work, they don't work anymore. See, we, we know better now, right? We don't fear him. We fear God. We don't fear the devil. So there are two areas that we need to talk about that tend to make people really nervous. The first one is... How much like God are we? Some of those verses we read a moment ago, narrowly missed being God, made a little lower than God. Okay. Just how much like Him are we? And then the other one has to do with Jesus coming to this earth, and, and that is how much like us was Jesus? Now, we'll get to that second one later, but see, there's a lot of folks who believe that, that everything Jesus did on this earth, He did as God, masquerading around as a, as a human being. That's not true. He became a man. He did everything that He did on this earth as a man, in right standing with God, full of the Holy Spirit. He came to take something back from the devil that a man turned over to the devil. He could have taken it back as God, but he didn't come to take it back as God. He came to take it back as a man so that he could give that authority back to men, back to us. See, I don't, I don't believe it's taking anything away from Jesus to say that, that what he did on this earth, he did as a man. What is harder for him to do it as God or for him to do it as a man? To me, it's a bigger accomplishment for him to do it as a man. It's just the opposite of what religion tells you. Religion tells you that you're taking something away from him to say that he did it as a man, and I believe it's just the opposite. If he was just tiptoeing through the two lips as God with a little bit of skin pulled over on him, then, then where does that leave you and me? But if he did it as a man, that means we can follow behind him and do it too. Now, what I'm about to share with you, I believe the Holy Spirit led me to, is a lot of backstory behind this. I'm not, I don't have time for the backstory and this, so I'm just going to give, you, give it to you straight, okay? But I was really seeking the Lord many years ago about this because I had been preaching on some of these things 
And I had went pretty far with it, but I just kept feeling in my heart that I hadn't gone far enough, and I wasn't sure if I went any further, there's going to be anybody left here besides my family. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> there was folks that weren't taken too, uh, you know, they weren't too, taken too kindly to this. And I said, Father, you know, help me. I mean, I, where, where do I draw the line? Where, I mean, how, how much like you am I? How much like you did you create us to be? And again, I believe it was a God thought. The Holy Spirit reminded me of something that I studied in school called taxonomy. Taxonomy is something that was created by mankind and is as a way of classifying all living things. Now, if you're familiar with this, you know that living things are divided, first of all, into kingdoms. Okay? You've got the plant kingdom, you've got the animal kingdom, so forth and so on. You still with me? Okay. So as I was praying about this and meditating on this, I put this into my heart, and I said, okay, well, let's see how this plays out. So um, I did a quick Google search, and, and, um, and the kingdom, I thought, yeah, I, I can make a biblical case that me and God are in the same kingdom, right? Because I've been born into the kingdom of God. So, you know, we at least have that much in common. You follow me? Okay. So as you work your way through this, the, the next um, classification that we see is um, phylum. Okay? So living things that are in the same phylum um, are, are things that are grouped together, uh, organisms that are grouped together that have the same body plan. Well, there we go. Check that one off, okay? Then the next, because keep in mind, we started with all living things. We divided everything into, the, into their kingdoms. Then in each kingdom, you divide into phylum, and then phylums you divide next is in class. Organisms that are in the same class are organisms that share a common attribute, well, we'll talk about this in the, in the days ahead, but there are many attributes that we have in common with God because when He created us in, in His image and likeness, again, to look the way He looks, but also to function the way He functions. So therefore, we have attributes. One of the attributes that I have in common with God is what I'm doing right now. I'm speaking to you. So then we go through order. You know, we're, we're, we're narrowing the, the group. You know, these... So... In other words, organisms can all be in the same kingdom, but not the same phylum. They can be in the same phylum, but not the same class. They can be in the same class, but not the same order or family, right? Well, I, family, I, amen, me and God, we, he calls me a son. <laughs> Genus, these all have to do with variations that differentiate um, one species from another, walnuts from hickory nuts, for example. Now, the closest related of all living things are those of the same species. If, if, if something is of the same species, okay, this means that they share the most common, are you ready? Comparability and compatibility 
of all other living things. Liberties are the most comparable to one another, and the ultimate test of comparability or compatibility, anybody want to make a stab at it? The ultimate test of comparability or compatibility to say that two things are of the same species is if those two things can bear one another's young. Have children. Yeah. Right? There's not like the species dog, but there's like different sizes, shapes, and all, but at the end they're always dogs. That's why you have Labradoodles. <laughs> so species then are living organisms that can have one another's young. Anybody there yet? Teenage virgin. Named Mary, that the Holy Spirit came upon and planted the seed of God's Word in her womb. And her body did not reject the Word of God as something foreign. But that which was conceived in her by the Holy Ghost. My friend, how much like God are we? We can have his babies. We're of the same species. That's how comparable. That's how compatible God made us with himself. Man, if this microphone wasn't new, I'd drop it right now. Come on, brother. Come on with it. Fruitfulness. I mean, that, that's why the lack of understanding and the importance of that whole dynamic of fellowship and what it's designed to do, you, you, you have to know that it's designed to produce after its own kind. And Paul gives a, a reference to the, 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 the segment of life we go through as newborn babes young men, and fathers. And so when you go through that process of maturing in the Lord, when you finally get to that father's stage, what do the fathers do? They give birth to babes. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Why does an orange tree exist? And so, and so that word fellowship, you know, one of the words that, uh, well, one of the concepts that's in the Strong's and the is spiritual intercourse designed to produce wait what <laughs> <laughs> well that's, that's what when he's talking about the body of Christ the individual members you've been made one with the other designed to produce after your own kind that's why you can never accomplish what you're designed to accomplish separated never. from the body Never. Never. 
In other words, we hear intimacy and we think physical intimacy, right? But it's just one, exactly, oneness. Brotherly kindness and love, those are terms of the intimacy. That's it. Physical joining of two physical bodies, right? Yep. Yep. So even even like when you like so, see the the ultimate the ultimate success of an orange tree is not just producing oranges, but it's to produce other orange trees. Right? There's seed inside those oranges. Everything God created, He put seed in it to reproduce after its own kind. I mean, we could just yeah, yeah. This is a lot of heavy stuff. So, <laughs> so as, as, as we take this and apply it practically, what do we what do we do? With this? You know what I'm saying? Like it's cool. I got to know it's cool, but like, what, what do I do with this? Supposed to change something? Like it's. It, I think it's got to start with. I'm not just some piece of dust floating in in the winds of time. That God is indifferent towards, but that He knew me before I was ever formed in my mother's womb. He sings over me while I sleep at night. He longs for me. He desires me. He created me to know Him and to be known by Him. He created me to love Him and to be loved by Him. He created me to to have fellowship with Him. The same kind, the Bible says, the same. We've been invited into the same fellowship with God the Father that Jesus has opportunity to to, to experience, right? And, And so... You know, when I walked in class this morning, and I, I call my wife when I leave the morning class, usually, typically, every time I, you know, that's my routine, call her. Um, we talk early, and then, you know, hey, baby, and she always asks me, how, I said, Pam, I said, if you could have heard how many people were talking about how excited they are about discipleship class this evening, right? Again, see, listen. That, that ties in with that fellowship. What, what, let me tell you what we're doing right now. We're fellowshipping with the Word of God. The Word of God is living and powerful. The Word of God is Jesus Himself. We're fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. We're, we're all in, an, in a room, in an environment, in an atmosphere where the Spirit of God is. We're learning and growing together. Are you, see, all of this are things that are so beautiful and so, beautiful and so important to God. So, you know, again... To, to cast off the lies of the devil that we're, we're nobodies and we're insignificant and we're not important uh, and, and to realize that God uh, created us for a very high purpose and because He created us for a very high purpose, He created us to occupy a very important position and place with Him. See, the reality of it is this. We were created to have dominion, but we can't have dominion if we live independently from God. It's 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 it it almost it's one of those um, paradoxes of of God's wisdom and, and His kingdom, but it's dominion through dependence. We think of somebody who has dominion and authority as as being independent. Well, that's the way the world tries to do it, but that's not how it works in the kingdom. And it is six forty-seven. And I should have prayed five minutes ago, but <laughs> but Amen. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes the class, it's like we don't want to stop. I'm just like, tell all them folks to come in here, right? And we'll just keep going. So, um, all right, you get anything out of this? All right. Now, listen to me very carefully, all right? And I'm not trying to talk out of both sides of my mouth. But Jesus 
warned us about casting our pearls before swine. Okay? Now what does that mean? I'm not telling you to, to, to not share this with other people. But the reason you don't throw a pearl down in front of a, 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 in front of a pig is because a pig will think it's a, it's, a, it's a pearl onion or a piece of corn. In other words, the, 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 the pig has no respect for its value. Okay? So, you know, for you to call mom and them tonight and say, Mama, guess what? I found out I can have God's babies and I'm just like, you know, so, you know, she, you, know you, you see what I'm saying? So just, amen. I'm not telling you to not share this. Please do share it. But, but make sure it's led by the Spirit in the right context, okay? And, and let me give you some more about it too next week. Can we do that as well? All right, let's pray. Father, you're so good to us and we love you. Thank you for helping us, Lord. Father, we've, we've uh, desired the sincere milk of the Word, and we've grown because of that desire. And now, Father, you're transitioning us into uh, some heavier protein, Father, some, some deeper truth and understanding from your Word. And, Father, it, it, it's uh, sitting well with us. And I thank you, Father, that it's helping us. And, and Lord, I, I love uh, all the questions, but especially one of the last ones. So what do we do with this? And Father, it's so important that we recognize what this says about who we are to you and about what you created us to be. And Lord, if this is what we are, then, and this is our origin, then what identity and purpose could this be necessary to support? As, as we look forward and as, as we uh, dig deeper into uh, your truth for our lives. Lord, thank you for every person listening to me right now. Lord, for what you're doing in each one of us, and Lord, for the lives that these men and women will impact for your glory, both now and in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.